0: Welcome to Box Cutters, episode 147. It's time to push the button. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, it's always a pleasure to have him in the studio. He's a man who knows a lot and says it all. Wilbur
1: Wilde. You know, have I ever told you how hip I reckon that theme is for the Box Cutters? Well, no, no, you haven't, Wilbur, but may I introduce the man who wrote the theme, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Now, that was unsolicited, Cropley. Uh, th- yeah. Completely, I've... because that's a really sort of groovy little thing, and I mean, I've uh, dug it. The, uh, this is my third time here. Lovely to be here.
0: And we're uh, joined today for the entire episode by a man who is, without a doubt, television history. 100% television history you can you can have your uh, your, your, your grundies and <laughs> you can have your crawfords this man made australian television ray punja director extraordinaire welcome to box cutters thanks josh and brett obviously you found the 50 bucks I left lying on the panel there it's uh, <laughs> gonna go to good use don't you worry about that uh so a huge show we're of course gonna have a, a big chat to, to Ray, uh, just to, to give the listeners a, a very basic idea. You have uh, directed uh, everything from uh, Bob Dyer's Pick a Box through to 20 years of Hey Hey It's Saturday through to uh, wrestling, uh, World Series cricket, uh, live television. You've done it.
2: Yeah, that's right. About 26,000 Australian productions. Right. Is, is, really, is that enough? It's, you don't want to do any more? There's
0: probably a couple more that I'd like to do. Okay. Okay, well, well, we'll get onto that later on in the show. Uh, we're also uh, going to do a quick review of the new Channel 10 series, Rush, which starts this Tuesday night. So, uh, I've uh, managed to have a look at that over the weekend, and uh, I'm uh, quite keen to talk about it. It's a whole bunch of pork to finish off. But, as always, let's kick things off with the cutters news. A few weeks ago, we brought you news that Access Thirty One, the community television station in Perth, was in some trouble. Mm. In, in some fact, f- had shut down. Yes, some financial trouble. They'd shut down. Well, it turns out that a wealthy Chinese businessman has pledged to rescue Access Thirty One. Uh, the uh, what's his name? Maji Bo. Is his name. Uh, He's the owner of uh, Perth Radio Station, uh, a Chinese radio station. Perth Chinese Radio. And the Oriental Post. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And uh, uh, he's going to be picking up Access 31 and letting it continue for the benefit of the community, uh, is a a quote from uh, general manager of the uh, Chinese media group. And uh, So I'm guessing just a, a, a spokesman for uh Is now is is he Mr Ma or is he Mr Bow? I I don't I guess Ma I would guess as, I would as say long Ma. As,
3: as long as these articles are uh, giving his proper name.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh and uh, and all, all, all I know is that this is uh, a fr- from a, a Western Australian paper. WA Today. Yes, that's, we've got the same article, Crumpley. <laughs> we do
3: indeed. Um, and no word in there about uh, what's happening with digital and uh, community TV because uh, it's all kind of up in the air. Of course, community TV, Channels 31 in Melbourne, Sydney and Perth um, still don't have a, an avenue to broadcast on digital as yet.
0: Now, everyone here will be aware, a lot of people in the last... 10, 15 years in Australian television, got their start with community television. Ray, Ray
2: how did you get your start? Was it community television? Did you? Uh we barely had a community back when I started. <laughs> no, I started, uh, a mate of mine was working at Channel 9 at the time, and uh, he was an office boy, and I was at school, Macleod High School, and uh, he came home one day and he said, hey, Ray, there's a... Uh, an office boy's job available at Channel 9. I can put in a word for you, you know. And I went to my mum. Mum said, well, why not? And mum took me in for the interview at Channel 9 with the station, then station manager, Mr Bailhash. She had to buy me a pair of long pants. (laughs) I I was about 48 kilos. I should have been a jockey. (laughs) And uh, I sat in the chair. Mum sat beside me and he interviewed me and I started work about a month later as an office boy. But we'll get on to that a bit later, Yes, maybe. yes,
0: yes. But uh, so, so that's,
2: you know, essentially the same way that, that people start in... Yeah, look... You know, now they're, they're vol- they volunteer. Yeah, look, I, I've got to say about Channel 31 in Melbourne, I've done a lot of work for Channel 31 in Melbourne. And, uh, in fact, I've done a lot of training of their staff and things like that. And I think they do some very, very clever television, the RMIT people and and other independent groups that are there. And the community groups like the Greeks and the Italians that do their shows... They are very good on the limited uh, budgets, of course, you know. They've only got a cu- couple of bucks in their budgets and they and with the state of the equipment. And they do some bloody good television. They really do very innovative stuff. And I'm all for it. And I think the government should push for digital television in that area.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's the, the biggest problem at the moment is that uh, there is no guarantee of – uh, digital upgrades and uh, and moving into the digital space for these community stations. And there is the chance that they will die. And this is... We were talking a few weeks ago about uh, the, the idea that... Uh, apparently, it was Channel 7, wasn't it, Brent? That so, someone said Channel 7 uh, were going to do a project with uh, Channel 31 or Channels 31... Uh, in, uh, in in trying to get,
3: yes. I, I'm trying to think who it um, was who was saying that basically they were getting they were getting uh, potential new talents and and setting them up with a show on Channel 31 so they could kind of kind of break their teeth. What's that term? Um, <laughs> cut their teeth. <laughs> doing the TV stuff while the production values weren't uh, weren't as important as on uh, commu- uh, commercial broadcast TV.
2: Well, what would you do if you are the general manager of a free-to-air channel uh, like the Nine Network or the Seven Network or the Ten Network? Would you really want Channel 31 to be turned into a digital station and, and, and compete against you? Which, they, 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 they look, their audience is huge, you know, across down through the peninsula, uh, all the way down the other side of the bay, right through... Uh, across Melbourne, the widespread of Melbourne and Deeneyong and up to Healesville and that. They've, they've got a massive audience, you know, uh, Channel 31 uh, on a day-to-day basis. And would you really want more competition? So, you know... Well, it's, I, is, I, it, I, is it competition or is it working like a feeder
0: school for, for my network, right?
2: Uh, well, what do you do? Do you take advantage of that situation and allow Channel 31 not to progress in a technical sense and... and Take their nurtured people that have gained experience by, like Rove, for instance, is a classic example, Mm. and Stephen Hall and other people like that that have gone through. uh, Hamish and Andy, oh, big time! Yeah, Mm. good one. Boing, ten points. Elephant stamp. (laughs) But I mean to say, and but look what the Seven Network did with uh, Hamish and Andy. Gave them about five
3: shows, and then that's it.
2: And took them, off, took them off air. You know, they, Didn't give them the time. And now they're the highest paid radio people in Australia. But
3: they've admitted themselves that it was probably too soon for them to have that kind of exposure, to, to have a show at that time um, and have that kind of pressure. And so after after they kind of got dumped by Channel 7, they went off and did some radio stuff and, and got got working together in a commercial sense uh, a lot better. And have since come on.
2: Yeah, I think uh, to succeed you've got to fail, so to speak. But... Uh, I think they probably were nice about it for themselves. They've handled themselves exceptionally well, in my opinion. I've got a lot of time for these guys. I think they're great, you know. Yeah, yeah. but certainly Channel Thirty One, um, it needs to progress on a technical basis and become a very competitive station against the free to airs, which it can do. Yeah. But but not
0: without uh, support, either government or community support. And uh, I think that's that's the biggest challenge it's it's facing at the moment. You know the uh the the amount of money that uh the government puts into the arts in general is pitiful and then uh television as part of the arts is just a, a tiny unrespected part of that and then community television as a part of television as a part of the arts is is just like the dog's breakfast at, at the end of uh, at the end of the day
2: Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I think you're right there, completely right there. The other point is with uh, community television, Channel 31, is that people now have cable television that comes through on the satellite and or on the cable outside their homes, you know, Optus or Foxtel. Now... Channel 31 community television doesn't come through the satellite or the Foxtel system or the uh, Optus system. Now, it used
0: to come through Optus vision.
2: Yeah, and they knocked it on the head, you know, because it had too much of a following, and it was getting out to a wider audience again through the satellites and all that sort of thing, you know. So uh, they're they're very restricted, and, you know, even Foxtel is in on the uh, the act with the uh, commercial networks. Of restricting community television, mm. particularly Channel 31 in Melbourne, which is a very successful station. Yeah.
3: From a from a commercial standpoint, I think that it would be silly for the the commercial stations to stand in the way of of 31 going digital, because they they get the benefit of of this generating of new talent um, that that far outweighs the very small uh, viewership, uh, relatively, of uh, Channel 31.
2: Yeah, true. It's uh, it's a bit like sending someone to uh, to school. Uh, let them pay for it, and uh, we'll pick them up uh, when they're educated.
0: It's, uh, I wonder what uh, Mr. Ma thinks about uh, the the future of, of Channel Thirty One. I mean, obviously he he must think it's an important part of the the community, and he must think that uh, there is a future. But because he, he seems to be a very successful businessman, but uh, does he have. This is what I'd like to know, and, and I wish I had uh, more information what plans he has for progressing the station through. Yeah. And uh, maybe we can find out about that during the week. That would be great. Indeed. Uh, tragic news this week All Saints, well, current All Saints
3: actor Mark Priestley was uh, found dead over the week, having. Uh, it was believed, I'm not sure if this was confirmed uh, beyond that, believed to have killed himself while suffering depression.
0: Uh, there, uh, I've, I've read a, a number of reports, uh, one saying that, uh, yeah, it, it seems, it seems like, uh, there were no suspicious circumstances, uh, mm. which is code, uh, as we've, uh, as we've learned on the show previously, hey, yeah. uh, the, uh, it's, it's a very, very sad story. This is, uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk about great actors later on. Uh, in the show But uh, I think I, I've said a, a number of times He was really A shining light In in All Saints He was such A, a good Strong Solid actor uh, it's, it's a real Shame to see him go
3: I think I think my favourite uh, Role of his Was actually in Changi He was extremely Likeable in that uh, He was also in Secret Life of, Life of Us But I can't remember His character in that
0: uh, it, Everyone was in Secret Life of Us But go. the uh, uh, The things And, and, and something that uh, I mentioned on the On the blog When Uh, when I first got the news about Mark Priestley's death. uh, And something that I I did not read in any other report was that he was nominated for an AFI last year, which is no small feat for for an actor who is on a show that is as poorly regarded critically as All Saints is to uh, receive that that recognition from... uh, from his fellow actors that's uh, what happened with mm.
1: Shane Bourne and MDA yes best actor on Australian television at the AFIs and uh, they had to renew the series as a result of that because they'd axed it
0: right that's right
1: I think they'd axed it at the end of the first Bourney picked up the AFI they said oh let's do another one
0: <laughs> that's right
1: and says so yes yeah, very
0: very sad to see him go it's uh it, it's shocking news and uh you know it I don't know what they're going to do with All Saints. I don't know. I, I, mean, I know they've resumed filming, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know what they're going to do with the storylines. It's a very, uh, very complicated situation. And uh, the was uh, he
3: was he one of the main actors
0: on? Yes, he was. All Saints. He was, and uh, he uh, had had a a, a big storyline this this year, but had also taken a lot of time off. And I had thought that uh, maybe he was doing a play or something, but apparently no. He was uh, he was given time off. Uh, the producers had, had worked his reworked his schedule and given time off so that he could uh, deal with uh, with his depression. Uh, and of course, if uh, if if you have uh, similar feelings, you can always call Lifeline on one three double one double sorry one three double one one four if uh, if you're suffering from depression or, or think you might be. It's uh, important. One three double one double four. No, see, I did it again. One three double one one four is the lifeline number. Uh, in other news, Ice TV have been granted special leave to appeal to the High Court. Now, this, I, I'm not sure, Wilbur Ray. If you're uh, if you're across the the Ice TV scenario, inform but, Mr. Canal. Ice TV uh, run electronic program guide, which you can use with your personal video recorder to set up to watch uh, shows that you want to watch when you want to watch them. So, essentially, it's it's like Foxtel's IQ, if, if you're familiar with that product, where you can say, okay, I, I want to always watch this show that's on Channel 9. I, I want to always watch, I don't know, Always Greener. All the repeats of Always Greener. Uh, and, uh, and you can set it up to Always Tape, Always Greener, whenever it's on. Uh, you, can, uh, you, you can get uh, recommendations. So, if you watch Always Greener and you like Always Greener, uh, it will recommend other John Howard shows to you, for, for instance. People who recorded this also enjoyed this. That's exactly right. That's a, that's a, a new feature that they've, uh, that they've just started. Channel 9 uh, decided to sue Ice TV, a small company. Uh, They decided to to sue them because they were putting up Channel 9's program guide, which Channel 9 claimed was their copyright, was their intellectual property, and Ice TV had no right to put this up there. It's, it's again, what what you were talking about before, Ray, with the networks really wanting to stifle any kind of competition at all. And this, of course, came out of the fear that people using personal video recorders would end up uh, skipping the ads. And, oh, well, if they skip the ads, well, how are we going to make our money?
1: Oh, no, it's, it's all terrible. Do you know anyone who's ever been prosecuted for recording a television show, even on VHS back in those days when it was supposedly illegal? Daryl, at the top of the show, would joke about it and say, well, if you're watching us live, that's terrific because coming up, we've got Tina Turner and if you're recording us, it's illegal. Now, did anybody ever... In your circle of no, acquaintance no, no. get prosecuted for that. Never, no. never.
0: Yeah. And now, of course, it's it's not illegal. It's uh, it's perfectly fine. When did that? It happen is illegal to watch it more than once, though. It is illegal to watch it more than once, <laughs> is to more than once which is yes. weird. That happened Who's about going to know? Uh, three three <laughs> or four years ago. Were we doing the show then? It
3: was uh, we were doing Philip Ruddock uh, that brought that in.
1: Is that right?
3: Yeah, yeah. just before he became Immigration <laughs> Minister, I think.
1: Well, you can't watch it more than once. You yeah, can't
3: yeah. watch it more than once. You, you're not allowed to, to loan the tape to your friends or family. Right. If, okay, If oh, you it's... want them to watch it, they have to come over to your place and you all have to watch it together on the yeah. one screening that you're and allowed And you are for ten bucks a head. Yeah, you know, yeah. do I, do I it, wonder run if you could tell
2: it. the networks that right now with all the repeat programming that's going on. <laughs> <laughs the, uh, so,
0: so no, I, I don't know anyone who's uh, who's ever been busted for that, and and you know it, it's almost impossible to police. So you
1: yeah. know, why, which, why would you... which makes
3: it a stupid law because you can't police it, and and so it just makes a mockery of but, legislation.
1: But to get too far away from Ice TV, the proprietary. Nature of the networks, and when it comes, I mean, I get the Channel 9 program guide, perhaps not anymore now, but uh, it arrives I, via email. You know, I get a, it, couple of, yeah, of course. I get it emailed I'm to sorry. me, and uh, the thing is, I T V would
0: take the information that they had, but also look at and they still do this, they look at patterns, network behavior, uh, they uh read the news, they uh they understand, they can actually update. Uh, and be more aware of what's going to be on a particular channel at a particular time than often the networks are. How are they making money out of it, Ice TV? It's a subscription basis. It's, I don't know, 15 bucks a month or something like that. Uh, And uh, you subscribe to it, and uh, it plugs straight into your personal video recorder, and it Mm -hmm. goes on. So, Channel 9 decided to sue Ice TV. Uh, and you can go back into the Box Cutters archives and, uh, and listen to Mark Edwards talk about uh, Ice TV a lot more and, and what they do. And we've also uh, ha- we had him on uh, a few months ago when, uh, firstly, the federal court essentially uh, threw the case out, saying Channel 9 had no claim to, uh, to the intellectual property. That was appealed. And then this year in May, I believe, the federal court uh, overturned that decision. Now, Ice TV have been given leave to appeal to the High Court, which is uh, a, another small victory, uh, or you know, it, it's it's a win of the battle,
1: but not yet the war. Yeah, mm, it's just that maxim though: he who has, he who hath the best lawyers wins. Well,
0: yeah, that I mean, the thing is, Channel Nine with their lawyers and, and with the amount of money they can spend on their lawyers are always going to have. Uh, the opportunity to appeal and and will always seek to appeal. Mm. Which is just a, a crying shame because at the same time, I think... Not for the lawyers. Well, no, no. The lawyers are loving it. And uh, I've got a, a very good friend who's, who's a lawyer who uh, is a litigator and he says to me, you know, no one wins litigation. And this is going to be the, the case here. And the thing is that Channel 9 are playing with more than just their loss or Ice TV's loss. They're, they're playing with uh, the moving forward of the uh, television community mm. and the television community will lose at the end of the day mm. if Channel 9, you know, supposedly win this uh, this court case. Because Australia are already so far behind so many other countries when it comes to this kind of technology. And we should have a free and open market. And there should be... Uh,
1: Programming guides should be public domain, but as you say, it's a similar thing to Foxtel's IQ. If they're not too precious about it, why is why are the the, the why is Channel Nine precious? Uh, well, Foxtel
0: released their own electronic program guide, uh, so they are precious about it. Foxtel are, are very protective of, uh, of their own uh their own lot they won't let uh any uh personal video recorders also uh record from yeah uh, you know i can't you've i can't a, buy my own got, yeah, pvr yeah. i have to buy iq unless I, would, you, I would much rather have like a you be- take it through
1: your television and out the other input
2: or also yeah, but then i can't
0: control it i can't say to to my pvr Oh, no, I know. Oh, I record you mean. this no, at, right, yeah. at this time. Record every Dexter for the next six months. Exactly. Yeah, um, that's right. Unless I actually set up, you know, yeah, a, no, yeah, a, a remote control from my PVR to no, Foxtel yeah, box and blah yeah. blah 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 blah. Yes, Ray.
2: I was just going to say, uh, Foxtel always run to time with their programming. Yes, they do. And uh, the the uh, seven and nine and ten networks never run to time because they they spill into the next half hour or the hour for ratings, you know, and they call that. Uh, you know, just going past the clock hour and after the uh half past also now the the thing is with all this recording mechanism that the uh, you know ice are bringing in the uh, how would they program their uh, their, their players their recorders uh, when the networks aren 't running to time well this is a this this is a
0: huge problem with uh television in australia i mean it, even with uh with IQ, I, I, I often uh, set up you know fifteen minutes beforehand, fifteen minutes afterwards, and still I will sometimes miss uh, the start of a program, the end of a program, because Dancing with the Stars went over you know by
2: oh Dancing with the Stars minutes. will go over every show for the rest of the year.
0: And as as a as a television director, now I'm I'm aware of scenarios where uh, the network. Is on the phone to the control room of a live show, and uh, and the network will say the numbers are good, the numbers are good, keep going, keep going, keep going, and then uh, we'll say, okay, now close it off in the next three minutes. Does does that does that happen? Does it happen a lot?
2: Uh, it, it 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 used to happen that way. Uh, you go back to the Don Lane show days, you know, uh, when you'd be on a roll, it'd be open time. Even Hey Hey It's Saturday, you know, back in those days, the earlier days of Hey Hey It's Saturday, for instance, we were on air and we went off the air when we felt like it. There was no, hey, we've got to be off by 8.30. What was that? That, that, was, that
0: was you hitting <laughs> hitting the desk and the mic stand making a noise. Oh, OK. Sound. Sorry, Mike. <laughs>
2: oh, that's all right. um <laughs> The uh, Okay, uh, so we're open-ended, and if we're on a roll with something, we just keep on going, you know, and uh, there was no network time to get out, you know, because the network had to cross to whatever it might have been, it it was just, well, you know, hey, hey, it's Saturdays on the air, and when they come off the air, well, that's when we go with our next program. How would you schedule to that, though? Oh, well, you don't, you see. Uh, Suddenly suddenly we might say, hmm, you know, we're going to run over by 45 minutes tonight with Hey, Hey, it's Saturday. Then the network coordinator, which nine times out of ten was coming out of TCN in Sydney, they would then schedule maybe a half-hour show to get to the next clock hour and then go into the movie at 10 o'clock at night or something like that, you know. So they would reschedule the program, put in... what well, back in those days, there were filler programs and you had the discretion as a as a director or the on-air coordinator to say, well, uh, we'll put in that half hour filler, you know, whatever it might be. It might be gun smoke or whatever it was. It's,
0: it's how I pretty much only ever got to see Newhart.
2: (laughs) 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 Ah, right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Suzanne Plachet.
2: Oh, (laughs) oh, yeah. Ah, dreaming. (laughs) Still. Yeah. Why not?
0: So, so, so that, that definitely went on. and, the technology has has come so far from a viewer's perspective, though, mm. that uh, you know it was still mildly acceptable with uh, VCRs with with the tape recorders yeah. to uh, to you know for a show to go over or or to to not start on time. It wasn't. It didn't seem as important as it does now when we have everything kind of timed to the minute and and, uh, and and we're going through our own schedules.
2: Well. Most of the networks now, the seven network and the nine network and ten network, they come out uh, – news and a current affair is – they run the networks. News mm. runs a television network now. You must be on time for your news service. You must be on time for your current affairs. End of story. Uh, you must be on time for your late news. And you must be on time at midnight to cross to your American uh, broadcasters, like for the American Today shows and the other – uh, network links that they put on throughout the early hours of the morning, mm-hmm. so it's all geared to news and things like that. You know, that's that. other programs. It doesn't matter. Dancing with the Stars can run over from uh, when's it on eight thirty, seven thirty at night mm-hmm. uh, through. You know, it's scheduled for till eight thirty. Now, in an hour's program, you cut to about forty-two minutes of program, and the rest is commercials. We it's- all know that, but they'll run it over because of the rating figures, and you know, and the that boosts everything up, and then they know they know that they're going to schedule out. It's say, five to nine or somewhere like that. They know,
0: and this is this is something that Ice TV have been doing is they've been watching these uh, these patterns and can actually give a more accurate time than what the network gives. Uh, its viewers,
2: yeah. Well, they're obviously reading the network program manager's mind, saying, "Oh, you know, we'll run to five to nine here. We we'll get another commercial break in because we'll be at a peak, and we'll put we'll put Wilbur dancing with uh, somebody." Uh, when, when are you going to do dancing this commercial with this break, and that'll be a big rating pull, When you hell know? freezes <laughs> over, yeah. You know, and they'll do the twos, you know. Yeah. You know? and when,
1: that's- when they pry this eight iron from my cold, <laughs> dead hand.
2: So is it just because
1: it eats into golf time too much? <laughs> well, actually, it's, it, it would eat into a lot of time too much. Five weeks of rehearsal on Dancing with the Stars, excuse me, Ray, yeah. then you... So it, before that the season even starts. This is correct. And um, there's a lot of stuff that if you've got it scheduled, you either have to unschedule it real quick or um, it's, a, it's a real commitment. Oh, yeah, and, it's a full-on... Gig, yeah. It's an f- absolute full-on thing, and then mm. uh, what are they running? Thirteen weeks, if you last that uh, long. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, they do at a the same time over you know. thirteen, I think. Yeah. And it's, and I think it, there's, you know, there's tech rehearsals and things like. That. It's a very big production, very uh, uh, well supervised and rehearsed production too. You know, and then you know you rehearse the show on on Sunday, and then you do it live it's, on on Sunday night.
2: Mm, it's very disciplined. Oh, isn't exactly it? right. Yeah. Well,
1: not that the discipline that doesn't frighten me, but. Uh, just committing yourself. Did they yeah. cut
2: that bit out where you fell over, Wilbur? Did they? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's pretty amazing that Red's been able to take it on. For this uh, well, coming up.
2: see, that's the thing
1: with, with Red. He's, um, he's got his regular morning show, yeah. of course, on the ABC, and um, he's found that he's gone straight from there to rehearsal with his partner and he's getting fit. And he's sort of enjoying – there's some, you know, positive byproducts of the whole thing. He's enjoying the – you know, he always enjoys the, uh, uh, the participation, as it were. But it's a huge commitment for him because Sunday night they won't be out of there till 10 o'clock. And it's not as if you just sort of go straight to picture. He was up early this morning to mm. do the radio. He's up at 4 o'clock. So it's um, a big thing, you know, and that doesn't leave a lot of space for, uh, you know, playing jazz gigs or going on the Variety Bash or, and you yet, know. And yet
3: still is uh, showing up for deal or no deal.
1: And that's <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, deal over that. Deal or no
3: deal. <laughs> yeah.
2: I was, I was associate producer of that. <laughs> <laughs> he was? That's right. Brett, uh, uh, just got, a,
3: uh, a couple of uh, premieres on the 29th of September. Uh, firstly, Australian Top Gear, otherwise known as? Crap Top Gear. Uh, kicks off on SBS for just an eight-episode series. Right. Not really much Australian Top we Gear. We wish then. them well, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, Warren Brown's um, a, a nice knockabout guy. I don't know I'm the other still two.
0: hoping it's going to be a great show. Good. Good on you. Yes, we, we
3: keep our fingers crossed. And uh, Chuck, which uh, kicked off with their first season last year in the uh, fall new shows, uh, has is having a relaunch on the 29th of September, guaranteed for a, a run of 22 episodes. Which Ooh, that's uh, long. they got. Well, because of the writer's strike, they got cut back by nine episodes last
0: but season. But it, it was a good length for the season. I mean, they, they told the story well throughout it. Uh, I, I often wonder with these shows if 22 episodes just isn't too much. Uh, Wasn't
1: too much for Boston Legal.
0: Well, Boston Legal's uh, uh, quite formulaic. Is not a bad thing, no. Uh, Very good Chuck, thing
1: when it comes to Boston Legal, if you ask
0: me. Chuck uh, is in danger of becoming formulaic, and, and when it becomes formulaic, uh, it will lose its edge.
1: Ah, that'll just bring some werewolves into it then. Oh that'll yeah, right. work. the werewolf claws.
0: Oh nice,
1: like oh, the thing with chances. They hurt. Werewolf claws. <laughs> they hurt.
0: they yeah, hurt. You don't
3: want to get scratched by them. They're and that
0: is the box cutters news. Hi, it's Pete Smith. They're not really naughty boys. They're just box cutters going about their business. Now, Ray Punja is in the studio with us. Television director extraordinaire, directed more live television than you have seen in your lifetime, I can guarantee it. So can I. (laughs) I, Ray, one thing strikes me from, from your resume, and that is slow motion replay.
2: Now, oh, right. T- t- tell me about slow motion replay. Well, back in the days of World Championship Wrestling with Jack Little, mm-hmm. I directed that. And uh, I went to Jack one day because Jack was the executive producer. He, uh, he was the boss, basically, of uh, World Championship Wrestling. And Jim Barnett was the American promoter. Very, very wealthy man, Jim, you know, promoted wrestling worldwide. And uh, Channel 9 bought a video disc and this this piece of equipment would record for 36 seconds and then you could go back on it and, and play it in slow motion. It had a fader that would control this big disc. It was about two foot in diameter. Bob Phillips has got the disc in the television museum and uh, it would play slow motion. You could play back uh, that particular grab for 35 seconds in slow motion. So what sort of and disc was it? Was it? Oh, I don't know. Like are we, are uh, we talking about a vinyl record or you know a, what a c- laser disc Okay, here thing? we go. Uh, it, uh, what uh, You look at a CD these days yeah. and just imagine a CD, but it's two foot in diameter and that's exactly what it looked like. And it just recorded and had a plastic top over it like an old gramophone uh, turntable, you know, and away you went. Anyhow, I went to Jack and Jim and I said, hey, listen, uh, let's do slow motion on the wrestling. And they said... Kid, you got to be bloody joking. (laughs) You know, that was Jack Little's response to the whole thing. I said, no, no, hear me out, hear me out. I said, this is my idea. And I said, we've got this new piece of equipment that we can record on it and play it back in slow motion. And what we do, I set up cue lights to Jack at the commentary position beside the rink from the control room. And if I gave, you know, uh, Jack a a green light that would indicate that we're ready to go with our slow motion replay, and if I gave him a red light... It would mean, no, it it didn't record. We haven't got it for whatever reasons. Continue on your merry way. And I said, and what we do, uh, you know, we tell the boys, we tell Killer Kowalski that when he goes for the fly through the air and dumps somebody, he's got to go for it a bit more. You know, we all know wrestling's theatre and all that sort of thing. Wrestling's fake. What? Not theater. Theater. theater,
1: theater, nicely chosen word. Right? So, uh,
2: you know, Jim said to Jack. Uh, Jim Barnett sort of looked at uh, Jack and said, "I think he's onto something, Jack." And uh, we gave it a try. And uh, the boys, you know, the wrestlers uh, were briefed uh, that we go. That's the fall that uh, Killer Kowalski. I'll use. He, he was a huge star, Killer Kowalski, mm. worldwide. Uh, when he uh, goes for this fall, give it a bit more grunt. You know, uh, put a bit into it. And when you hit him, uh, you know, don't just give him a little. Slap on the face, you know, give him a bit of a biff, you know. You blokes are getting a couple of grand to do this. So, uh, you know, and uh, away it went. And it all worked brilliantly. It, it really worked. And um, I'm pretty proud to say I think that I created uh, slow motion wrestling, the first in the world, yeah. And, and how big was wrestling in Melbourne? Oh. Like if Kill Kowalski was,
3: was wrestling in the competition here at, at uh, Festival Hall, I assume? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Festival Hall every Saturday night was uh, absolutely packed. Pa- so so was, was Melbourne like a real standout internationally? In oh, the absolutely. Uh, these guys that came out from America on the wrestling, uh, they were huge stars, like, uh, like they are in America today, you know, with uh, uh, WWE S- SmackDown and-, and all that sort of thing. These guys are huge entertainers, you know. And back in those days, ringside with the wrestling, as it was called in America, they were all the guys coming out and touring Australia and all that sort and of thing. And we of had
1: our own homegrowns, the Lario days and the Spirosarion.
2: Yes, was, uh, and uh, was
1: the uh, Mario Green. Milano. Mario, Mario Milano, that's yeah. what I was
0: trying to think of. Red
1: Bastine, uh, yeah. Brute Bernard, yeah. Skull Murphy. Roy Heffernan, <laughs> Ron Miller. And Roy Heffernan was a jockey, wasn't he? <laughs> uh,
2: well, uh, you, you're absolutely right. There was a Roy Heffernan a jockey. and. Uh, Larry O'Day, uh, the late Larry O'Day, he was a terrific guy. He was a very good friend of mine, Larry, actually. Uh, he was a great, a, a great guy, a really great guy. And he died uh, at the age of 50 uh, rather suddenly, uh, which was very, very sad. But he was a terrific person. And uh, Ronnie Miller, um, he lives up in Eildon, would you believe, Ron Miller. He's still around. He, he lives up at Eildon here uh, at Lake Eildon. Yeah. But
1: in Adelaide also there was yeah. wrestling. And it was sort of a national thing. Oh, yeah. But, Ray, um, I don't want to get you too far away from the topic of conversation. Yeah. Tell, tell us what else you actually were on camera for at uh, Festival Hall in
0: 1964.
2: <gasps> yes. Ah, uh, you know, let me think. Uh, what was it?
0: 64. <laughs> what? Anything special happened in 64? Oh, she
2: loves me. Yeah, yeah. The Beatles <laughs> were in town. You know, and uh they they arrived in town, so what? Who were the Beatles? Nobody knew who the hell the Beatles were. And uh of course. Apart from we sixty thousand screaming yeah. te- teenage girls. What outside the uh, Southern Cross uh, yeah, Hotel? Yeah. Yes, I was standing on the balcony with them.
3: <laughs> wow. <laughs> that yeah.
2: would have been amazing. Well it was, you know, but uh nobody knew what was going on. They just looked out over there and there was a sea of people, you know, and Tony Charlton was doing the commentary. I was I was behind them operating a camera, a small backpack camera, what, what's called a backpack camera back in those days. You know, it's just all cameras are small these days now anyhow. And uh, Tony Charlton, it's a blot on our city, what's going on here, you know. <laughs> and, you know and the boys are standing up there on the balcony and uh, waving to everybody and thinking, oh, this is all right, Ringo, yeah, George, you know, yeah, what's going on here? And, of course, I was there with them. And
1: the footage we see from Festival Hall.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I, uh, I was operating the camera that was on stage, And uh, when we recorded with the Beatles. In fact, I was watching the ABC only a couple of days ago and uh, the same footage was on there, this particular show. On Saturday, Saturday afternoon. I saw that and I went, I bet you that's Ray's footage. Well, I tell you what, stand in the queue and collect your money because it was. And, uh, you know, I was on stage there for that and... The noise at Festival Hall, you know, all those screaming girls, and if only I knew then. <laughs> but uh, it was good fun, and then we went back to Channel Nine afterwards and got had a few beers with the boys, and um, never ever saw them again. So were you, were you shooting that for the Beatles or for the local coverage for the news? Or it was uh, that's a good question because I don't know if it ever went to air as such. Uh, it was recorded. I. I think Harry Miller bought the Beatles out. I can't remember who bought – no, uh, no, it wasn't no, Harry. No, Ken Brodziak. Brodziak, that's it, yeah, yeah, Ken Brodziak. Uh, I think it was pre-recorded, uh, you know, and uh, I think it was used as promotional uh, footage and all that sort of thing, archival or whatever. I don't, th- I'm, I don't think it ever went to air in Australia as such as a program mm-hmm. because they weren't singing. They couldn't hear themselves to sing yeah. because of the noise.
1: That was the night that Molly Meldrum got dragged away by burly security guys because he was just a little bit too excited at the Beatles being in town and they escorted him from Festival Hall. Molly swears that his fingernail marks can still be seen on the the outside of the door as he tried to claw his way back in. He went back to the Southern Cross and threw himself in front of their car, or so he thought and was uh, uh, once again taken away by security. But it was a decoy car that he threw himself in front of. Oh. And, um, and, it, and Molly also went on, of course, uh, only a, a couple of years later to work at Apple. And um, I asked him one time, where were you when the Beatles recorded Let It Be? He said, on the roof.
2: So, um, R- Molly was on the roof. Bears on the roof. Yeah, but that's.
1: Yeah, but you know, but, uh, right. but Ray didn't know Molly back then in those days. No,
2: I didn't know Molly you know. back in those days. You yeah. know, uh, but of
1: course we all became mates with. Yeah, A-A, you know, of course, we've and,
2: uh, you know. worked together for many years now. But uh, yeah, it's it's all very interesting, all of that. But hey, listen, there's another little good story. Bob Dylan came out to town. You know. uh back in those days also and uh, once again i was doing the, the camera on stage and of course back in those days uh, your, your production facilities were minor you had four cameras you know two out in the bleachers another one over there another one on stage and you know one director and away you go sort of thing you know and the director was ian holmes uh, at the time and anyhow it was eight o'clock and it was curtain call and the band you know the music and the lights sort of fade down the way they used to fade lights in those days was turn them off one by one (laughs) (laughs) anyhow uh you know and all that sort of thing and dylan was supposed to come out on stage and do his stuff no bob dylan no bob dylan now keep in mind this is festival hall and be backstage at festival hall in those days there were toilets and showers but Mate, I tell you what, they were sort of, you know, you just wouldn't go in there, you know, uh, they weren't the best. Anyhow, Ian Holmes, the director, said, Ray, uh, you're, you're the closest one on stage there, can you go back and see what's going on, go backstage and see where Bob is, you know, the, the crowd's going bloody nuts, They're slow hand clapping in the full bit and stamping their feet. So I went backstage there and I go along the row of toilet doors there and push them all open and... Uh, pushed one open there's Bob sitting on a toilet. (laughs) And uh, this is true, absolutely true as I sit in this chair. And uh, I looked at him and I thought, oh, oh, yes. (laughs) He was away with the pixies. And uh, he didn't do the show that night. And uh, I I think that he ended up leaving a couple of days later because he didn't do the show. And I don't think Bob Dylan's ever been back to Australia since, has he? He was
3: was my first concert at uh, Kooyong with uh, um, Tom Petty.
1: Ah, I'm,
2: right, okay. I yeah. saw him
1: a couple of years ago at Rod Laver Arena and uh, sitting next to a guy who offered me his uh, binoculars. Now, we, you know, i could sort of been enjoying the show up until then, but I thought, yeah, I'll have a look at... Bob Dylan through the binoculars, and of course they were good ones. And I focused right on his head. It was a, a TCU of his head, just as he was m- mouthing the words like a rolling stone. Uh, and
2: I thought, yes,
1: yeah, yes. something I, I can I remember. Was, yeah, that's yeah. great, isn't it? Only seen him the ones he was great, but um yeah. now, he never did that show, huh? Yeah, no. Hey, if I can,
0: if I, if I can pull it back,
1: yeah, to.
0: What it is that you actually do when you when you' I mean not talking about a uh, camera operator but when you're directing live television yeah what is your job is it because it's it seems to me like uh we know about bits of it we we know that there's there's switching involved yeah but what is like okay it, well, it uh, must be a really complicated job it's,
2: yeah look back at the the early days of television the the training and the background that I had in most of Channel Nine that's why Channel Nine Melbourne dominated in variety and live television there's no question about that at all and we we're all brought up through the production ranks of learning good production and when you were directing you were actually doing your own switching uh, you know and all of that and that became just like typing you know be, you, you knew what to do and your own feel you didn't require a vision mixer as such, you know. A switcher—they—they they all use switches these days because uh, there's more technical stuff going on, and more cameras are used, and all of that. When you but, say but, they all
0: use switches, you mean a, a person who does yeah, the switching. Yeah, and you call
2: it—you sit beside them you say, "Ready one, take one, two, 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 take videotape," you know, or whatever it might be. Yep. But. Back uh, doing live television like you're... Uh, I, I never ever directed in Melbourne Tonight, but I certainly did uh, Hey, Hey, It's Saturday for 20-odd years and many more live productions and new faces with Bert Newton for nine years, Don Lane shows, all going out live to air, World Series cricket, the full bit, you know. Uh, it, it's complicated. It's a bit like flying a 747, you're the captain. So, you know, you, you've got the throttles, you've got the whole thing in your hand. You got. I used to say... Uh, Before we'd go on air, a couple of minutes before we'd go on air, we'd take her up to 37,000 feet, guys, and we'd just cruise, you know. And the cameraman or the floor crew, someone on the floor crew would always say, What are we going up to tonight, Ray, you know? And if I said 40,000, 38,000 feet, that means I just wanted absolutely 200% out of everybody. Uh, You're a bit of a coach, you're a mentor. Uh, you have got to be some, uh, somebody that the crew will look up to you, mm-hmm. uh, saying, you know, he's going to he's going to pull us through this. Uh, also, you know, we're going to help him. We're on side with him. You're only as good as your crew on the floor when you're doing live television.
0: So, in, you're in their ear. Telling them what to yeah, do, where and, to, to put the camera, they, where they, to
2: they've got to give to you, but you've also got to give them a bit of uh, a bit of rain, also, to allow them to put in their own creativeness, also. You know, otherwise you can't uh, you can't restrict anybody in a live television sense. You know, with variety, particularly in an ad lib situation, and it's important that they tap in into my brain to know what I want, and uh, for them to give it to me for me to put it to air. But
1: you had that from Kennedy, though. Oh, yeah. Um, you related a lovely anecdote to me about uh, a shot that you were taking of Graham when, uh, during IMT, when you were his cameraman.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, that's a good one, Willie. Yeah, uh, nice one, actually. Uh, it's interesting that you remember this one. Graham used to do a thing on in Melbourne tonight called Wake Up the Cameraman. Uh-huh. And now, uh, the, uh, the, uh, I was one of Graham's personal cameramen uh, on IMT, uh, and he had three of them and uh, we used to alternate around, you know. We'd do a week on or a couple of days on or shows on and, you know, one thing and another to remain fresh all the time because of Graham's uh, uh, ability to ad-lib and, you know, just go out of control at any given time, you know. Uh, anyhow, wake up the cameraman. He, he would suddenly say, it's time to wake up the cameraman. And what he would do, he would expect you to be on a medium shot. Now, for those listening out there that don't know what a medium shot is, it's uh, from about the waist up, Uh, that's about a medium shot, okay? And uh, you were to follow him no matter where he went, you know, uh, on a medium shot and stay in focus. And back in those days, to stay in focus on these cameras, you know, the old pies and all that sort of thing, was very difficult, not like today, you know. The boys have got it very easy today. (laughs) Well, we had a new lens on this particular camera, on Graham's camera, it was called a Varitol zoom. And I thought, ah... I just zoomed out to a big wide shot. As soon as Graham said it's time to wake up the cameraman, he's running around everywhere. And he looked at the monitor and he saw he's running around in a big wide shot. You know, you could see everything. And oh, I'm just standing there, you know. Well, (laughs) uh, Graham sort of stopped and he sort of, when he looks down across his shoulder with those big frog eyes, you know, shit, I've stuffed up here, you know. (laughs) What have I done? So, anyhow, cutting a long story short. That was that. The show went on. After the show, we just so happened to be in the boardroom having a couple of cold beers. Dangerous. And Graham came up to me and he said, don't ever do that to me again, Ray. I said, uh, what was that, Graeme? He said, don't ever zoom out on uh, wake Up The Cameraman like that again and turned away from him. And I, I thought, good God, I'll never do the show again. And then he turned back to me and he said, very creative. I like the way you were thinking. You'll go far in television. Oh yeah, that's
0: how can how can you, you do that to someone? Just break their heart and then build them up. That's extraordinary. It's, yeah,
2: he he was he did pay compliments uh, when you were at his level thinking about an ad lib situation and, and making a decision right. You know within a. A thousandth of a second. What am I going to do? Bang, you know. And you were competing with him, and he knew that. So by competing, he challenges you back again, and you reach bigger heights. Everyone goes higher, 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 higher.
0: It's it's extraordinary. Let's talk uh, very quickly about World Series cricket, because this was a, a major television event for... Uh, for Australia, it was uh, essentially uh, Australia leading the charge in, uh, in, in one-day cricket and uh, building up a, a new game out of an old game to, so that Channel 9 essentially could just show the cricket because the ABC had the, had the monopoly over it. Uh, and you directed World Series cricket. When, when it comes to directing a sport that no one at the network really has that much experience with, how do you go about doing it? How do you go about planning it? Uh, what What do you need to know before you walk into that situation?
2: Well, firstly, how to play cricket and all the place uh, field placements and one thing and another, and to have uh, to be a good television director in Australia. Back in in the time that I was doing it, you had to know music, sport. You had to know everything. You had to know how to even work on funerals or ballet or heavy metal rock and roll. You had to know all these things, all different sports and that, and you had to tap in on them, you know, just plug into whatever you were doing. Now, with World Series cricket, I I did it for four years as director, uh, 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 second director, uh, you know, there were two directors, touring directors, and I was Mm -hmm. one of them with Brian Morelli. He was the senior director as such. But uh, on World Series cricket back in those days, the... It's intense concentration now it this might sound a bit odd, but to direct a one day game, it was fast. it was happening all the time, and you you were flowing you know you're in rhythm you're like playing the drums, you're in rhythm, you know it's all happening and all that sort of thing. The game's good, you know they've got to make runs and this and that, and you know, and you're replaying you know and uh, all your computer information about statistics and all that sort of thing, and you've got the commentator saying uh. If, if he doesn't hit the ball, give me a close-up of so-and-so uh, after this ball, you know, and uh, then the cameraman would hear that, and, uh, and then you would do it. Test cricket was intense concentration to direct it. That might sound a bit odd, but to, you know, because test cricket is a slower pace and all that sort of thing, but the stuff the commentators were pounding at you to keep it you know, give me a shot of so-and-so. Give me a shot of Dennis Lilly after this. I want to talk about him, right? right okay, this and that. Give me a shot of this. Do this, do that. Oh, there's somebody over there. We want an interview here, you know, to, to build it up, to keep it flowing. And it, it was really full-on to do test cricket, yeah. How did the commentators get that message to you? Because oh, that- quite easy. The, the commentators work on what's called a lip mic. And that's a microphone that sits right up on their lip. I've, I've mm. seen that. I've wondered why they use yeah, that. Yeah, well, that's right. And you don't get any background noise, and uh, it, 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 it's right on their mouth. And when they take it away, they just pick up the talk back to the director and just say, uh, you know, Bill Laurie might be commentating at the time, and Ian Chappell might say, oh, give me a shot of Dennis Lilly after the next ball, Ray, would you? And uh, get his bowling stats up ready, you know. So uh, whatever, you know. So, mm. so who's
0: in charge in that situation? The, the – uh, the commentators are in charge of the directors because wouldn't I, I I always assumed that yeah. the director would say to the to the commentators, "Oh, we've got uh, we've got this shot ready to, to go. If you want to meet, if you want to talk about that, or uh, but is there no, is there someone uh, in charge, or is it really just yeah, a, a uh, team homogenous?
2: Yeah. Well, thing? Uh, David Hill was the executive producer. At, David's in charge of Fox Sports in America. How mm-hmm. about that? Wow. Anyhow, uh, he would he would have a, a huge say in it, but. When a game was on, it would be up to the commentators, because they were the ones putting the colour into it and, and putting the dressing on the uh, on the cake, if you like, you know, the icing on the cake, by saying, "I need a shot of uh, Dennis Lilly after this ball. I want to talk about it, or his arm action, or can you pick up a shot, Ray? Uh, can you get a shot of, uh, you know, uh... hey, you done that, again? Noise again. Sorry, <laughs> boys. Uh, give me a shot of his bat or whatever it might be. I want to talk about the grip on his bat or something, or there's a chip on the bat." or there's somebody standing there, or the umpire, you know, I want to talk about the umpire, and it would be up to the commentators because that way, and that this is where the Seven Network failed in doing sport, in my opinion, uh, and they still do it today. The, their commentators will talk about something, and then 10 seconds later they'll have the shot of it, whereas on World Series cricket, if the commentators were to talk about something, it'd be instantaneous with the shot. There's the shot of Dennis Lilly. There are the stats. That's what the commentator's talking Free. about. Uh, prepared and premeditated. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And in those days, when you were directing that, uh, did they like have the the pen where they could draw on the screen and and put X's and yes, and they did. Yeah, all that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: they had that. They that, never could work it.
1: To this, a bit they, like etch a sketch.
0: To this day, they still try to do that. They still try. They'll draw boxes and they'll draw you know an X here and and the thing is the technology has gotten a
2: lot better. But their skill the in using it has, has not. And, yeah. uh, I, just I think it might be a, too many reds the night before. <laughs> now through kind of
3: getting the uh, the World Series cricket up, uh, and 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 I'm not sure exactly like how senior uh, at the station at the network you were as a director. But did you did you have much uh, contact with Kerry as he was kind of forming the competition essentially um, for that?
2: Uh, David Hill, who was the executive producer, would, uh, you know, if the cricket wasn't going too well, Kerry would call David into the office and give him a squirt and uh, whatever, you know. But uh, I do recall uh, Kerry uh, was at the cricket one day and uh, he came in and he said, You're teaching them, you're teaching the bastards how to play, are you? I said, what do you mean, sir? You know. Uh Teach them how to play cricket, son. Teach them how to play cricket. You know, teach them what an off spinner is and a leg breaker and all that sort of thing and a medium pace. How are we going to do that? Work it out, work it out, work it out, son. Just work it out. So, you know, and David Hill and a few others, and we all sat down with that night at dinner and said, what are we going to do? So we created these uh, animations of, uh, you know, leg cutters and leg spins and, you know, medium paces and this and that and what it was. And we started to describe, teach the people, the viewing the audience, what the game was all about, you yep. know, and all that sort of thing. That's how I learned. Yeah, and, and Kerry was pretty impressed with all of that. he teach them how to play, son, teach them how to play the game, you know. It's fantastic, right? Yeah, it's great.
0: You're uh, sticking around for, for the rest of the show. We're uh, going to go into uh, a, a review of Rush now. Uh, but it's just extraordinary, the the, the parts of television and history that uh, that you've experienced and, and you've shared with us I, I Thank we've you. Only right now, on a small percentage of it. I know.
3: <laughs> I know. We'll, we'll
0: have to get. We'll have to get you and Pete Smith in the in the studio, and uh, and then we can just turn the mics on. The and first. We can just nine
1: go. hour box covers.
0: Yes. Yeah. First
2: nine hour. Yeah. yeah. Be great. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've discussed three shows. Is uh, what 25,000? 25, <laughs> yeah, 25,000 to go.
1: Hello. This is Frank Thring. Gossip from heaven. On the box cutters, I bumped into Ray Charles the other day. Well, he bumped into me because
0: his dog's not dead yet. Oh, uh, yes, Ray, we uh, we get all the big big stars, all the big stars to do our our IDs. Frank Thring,
2: yeah, from it, the grave. It's it's good to see that they're recording for you because I actually directed stuff with Ray Charles. Oh, did did you mm. uh, when uh, when he toured here live? Yeah, I think one of the funniest ones was oh, what was that rock and roll guy? Uh, Will he play piano? Uh, Oh. Jade Hurley. No, no, no. Jerry Jay Lee Lewis. Lewis. Oh, Jerry, oh, Jerry Lewis, Lee Lewis.
1: Yeah. On the Lane show? Yeah. You weren't. Yeah. Oh, because I tell this story. Please yeah. tell the story.
2: Oh, well, now you tell it because... Uh, all right, I'll tell you. <laughs> that was when, a, he, when he... The killer. the dummy and all Jerry that. Jerry Lee Lewis,
1: yeah. the killer. Yep. yep. Like, pinned as Don Lane introduces him. Sits on the couch, just beyond hell and gone. All right? The first two or three questions that Don's asked you, say, hey, Jerry, it's great to have you in the country. Hey, are you feeling about it? Is it... Nothing. Next, Don. Don, true professional, moves. I said, "Yeah, now we understand you are touring around the country there and doing a few shows." Joe's <clears throat> just he's, he's looking around at the audience like that, and then the, before Don could ask the next question, Jerry Lewis just stood. Uh, Jerry Lewis stood up and went, "Wild women, whiskey, and rock and roll." <laughs> 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 then. And when he was playing piano, did this fantastic, you know, just got on it, just got down on it. And then at the end of his solo, he sort of did this sort of, this sort of lame sort of thing where he kicked over the stool. He was like, yeah. no! A- yeah. But it was like, man, he was just out there. And and I love it because these are the guys, you know, him and Elvis and, uh, you know, and Sam Phillips and, 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 and Johnny Cash, you know, they, they were the fathers of rock and roll and those guys and Roy Orbison, of course you know these has and it was just he lived up to all of my expectations.
3: And was that was that the episode where after the break Jeff Harvey
0: was there kind of being a little bit No 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 that's <laughs> that wasn't Jerry Lee Lewis. That was uh uh Ben Folds.
1: Ah Ben that Folds was much later. Ben Folds on the <laughs> yeah, mid, a bit later, on yeah. the midday show. Yeah that would have been the uh, midday show and because this was the Lane show and Graham Lyle would have had the band I think in yeah, those Graham days. Yeah Graham
2: Lyle back in those days yeah. and the midday the midday show was done at TCN in Sydney. Yep, with Mike Walsh.
0: And uh, uh, yes, yeah, so, and Ben Folds uh, pretty much destroyed a, a grand piano. Oh, yeah. did he and, really? And uh, you know, Harves
1: wouldn't have liked that. <laughs> no, no <laughs> Jeff Harvey went mad at him. I bet he did. Yeah, it saw was, Harvey the other night. He was down at the Rising Sun on the Tuesday night. Oh, really? Yeah, Palmer. Yeah, it was good. No, you know. uh, um, have I it's got that story right, though, Ray Puncher, who yep. directed that episode of Don Lane? Yeah, that's it right. Pretty, it was pretty yep. right. I just yep. remember seeing it. It was we fantastic. We didn't even talk about the, the Don Lane. Uh, by the way, Don is, is well. He is well. I was going to ask. He's, 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 well, he's happy and well. I mean, he's um, being, Cause, being cause looked I'd, after at the moment and, um, in Sydney and uh, his I'd, wife's sort of um, on the case and he's would it. I would had, I'd had rep- reports of, of people who'd seen him at functions, and he was looking poorly. Yeah, well, he's, he, he physically he's okay, but I think he's, um, he's getting old. Right. But, um, a- yeah, I had him on the radio show uh, last year, and we had a really good chat uh, just around the, the same time that he, re- he had released his book. And, uh, you know, um, if he could remember everything, he'd be a great person to have on the box cutters as well.
0: Well, yeah, I was, I was going to say, if, uh, if at any time he's feeling up to it, hmm. he's more than welcome to, to phone through it. Uh, Rush is not about... The goldfields. Oh, what I know.
1: Rush. is like Rush Boys. Rush. I like, was.
0: I was getting all excited.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, they're bringing back nine oh two one oh and things and like that. You think a revival of Rush would have worked well? But I. I thought so. I
2: thought so. And it could be you. And it could
0: be Tommy <laughs> Hanlon Jr. Oh. Another show. That's another Waker. show you've directed. That's right. <laughs> we didn't. Even, you know what? Mate, we didn't even get to talk about Pick Box. Oh, Pick a Box. So much to talk about. Anyway,
2: Rush. Do you want a quick story a, about Pick Box? Oh, please. Please. All right. Okay. Here we go. We record Pick a Box with Bob Dyer. Now, Bob Dyer was an absolute total professional, and uh, he would be totally in charge of Pick a Box because he owned the show with his wife, Dolly.
1: For professional, read Control Freak.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Very much so. But uh, on this particular day, you'd record five half-hour shows, you know, because uh, if I remember correctly, it was uh, striped across the board uh, about seven o'clock at night, like Sale of the Century or something like that back Mm -hmm. in those days. Anyhow, what Bob would do after recording would be to go to videotape back in those days. It would be recorded on two-inch videotape, one machine only. That's all Channel 9 had back in those days, and pick up the five shows, you know. So we recorded the five shows, and um, he and the director, Bob and uh, Billy Beams, the director, they went to uh, videotape to pick up the five reels of tape, and the tape operator, the videotape operator, gave them one half-hour reel. And Bill and Bob said, uh, sounds like the flowerpot man, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> so, Where are the other four? And he said, oh, I, I've recorded them all on the one tape here, you? you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> so <in your> tape. <laughs> of course, they've only got the last show. So. But Bob uh, used to have on the floor a guy who uh, and a lady who would write down every word that was said on the show and uh, every move and every question, and every answer and uh, timed everything out and went back and recreated those four shows word for word, you know. Yeah, just exactly as it was. With the Fantastic. contestants. With the contestants. And scripted, the, uh, uh, as it yeah, were, for the first four were, shows. as it you know. You, uh, you actually said Athens, and uh, the correct answer was Rome, you know, and you gonged out there, and you picked the box that had the... Uh, whatever it was, the washing machine in it, you know, but you decided to take the cash so and all that, yeah. you would have
1: been there for, like, the Barry Jones era on the pick oh, yeah, box yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, I, yeah. I actually, I did all those shows with Barry Jones, yeah, on camera, yeah, yeah. And there was a guy called George Black, and that was his yes. name. George Black really used good. to do all the writing and the transcripts on the show, and he became a, a contestant on the show, and uh, I think he swept the board also, you know, yeah.
3: He also wrote the questions, though, fairly...
2: Oh, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> we're, all, we're all open to a little bit of a, you know,
1: a, whatever. the one thing that Bob Dyer never picked up, you know? You yeah, know it's yeah, it, it's yeah, just that one yeah, little thing that, yeah, that George got away with, yeah. yeah well, straight know, through the yeah. Keeper.
2: He just it's didn't know about those little <laughs> earplugs. <laughs> Rush!
0: Rush! Rush! A, a new show starting on Channel 10 on Tuesday night. It is a cop drama, and it is the Australian cop drama I've been waiting for. Just... Excitement city I, You know Everyone was saying Underbelly's fantastic And it was alright
1: But that voiceover Oh no Underbelly
2: it. was very very good there I thought is, it was
1: very good But keep going there, on Rush Is it better than Seeho Or different Seeho C- 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 City homicide
0: Sorry Seeho C- I'm, I'm not down with the Young person's lingo
1: <laughs> Aficionado I'm not a young uh, person the, That was uh, a uh, callback
2: Is that <laughs> D24 <laughs> The The uh, Is it better
0: than City Homicide? Yes, there's a a lot... Okay, this first episode of Rush starts with a helicopter car chase. So, you've got uh, helicopters trying to identify a car down on the road, you've got three cars also chasing this one car, Uh, the guy who who, who has uh, stolen the car is just gunning for it, driving through Melbourne, full speed, gets to the art centre... Parks the car. We find out that one of the other cops has been chasing this particular carjacker before and lost him. <gasps> he says, the cop says, the guy's Spider-Man. And all, all his mates are going, yeah, right, you're soft. You're... Yeah, you're nuts, yeah. The guy gets out of the car. The car chase turns into a parkour chase. Oh, cool. So, the guy's climbing all over the art centre, up, down, jumping onto roofs, jumping off roofs and, uh, you know, doing that double jump where he goes up against one wall and then climbs over another. It's fun to watch. Just fun, exciting, adre- adrenaline-filled. The, the, remember Police Rescue? Sure. Very sweet. It, reminds me, it? Of, reminds me of Police Rescue, but with a lot more action. It's and, and I really enjoyed it. I just thought it was a, a really fun drama. Tuesday nights,
1: eight thirty. No, 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 no,
0: no, 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 okay, yeah. Tuesday nights at
1: Clock on channel on 10. channel
0: ten, and uh, it's about a tactical response team in the uh, Victorian Police Force. Uh, pretty much everyone you can think of. Uh, was in it and uh, Roger super-
1: Corsa springs Roger- to mind. Roger Corsa is in it. Mm, fine actor. Uh, Catherine McClements is in it. Fine, fine, fine actor. Saw her do a thing at the malt house too, Catherine McClements. She She's uh, wonderful.
0: Excellent. Excellent film. really uh not even not even Samuel Johnson can ruin this show for me.
3: And you think they're gonna be able to uh, sustain that kind of that level level of action through the series? I'm
0: hoping so. I mean clearly it's very expensive to make uh, but I am hoping that it will uh, th- that it will stay at this pace uh if the writing stays true and that's the other thing as well the writing was good Not this good. Was, this was my problem with yep. with underbelly was sure. i found a lot of the writing lazy uh i thought it looked amazing underbelly looked amazing but i, I, I found that the writing especially a voiceover a voiceover just kills a 1 hour drama there is no need for it and uh and rush doesn't have it the 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 action tells itself mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. excellent uh,
3: what time do you
0: right? That's on at nine thirty on Channel Ten on Tuesday nights.
2: A quick question, Josh. Yes, uh, right. With that, uh, um, the helicopter pilots were they uh, stunt pilots in Australia or were they Americans or it what? It'd be interesting to find out about that one. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. A, well,
0: mm. do, do we not have uh, any?
1: Uh, yeah, we got good flies. We have. Yeah, we got good flies. Yeah, we, G- good stunt chopper,
2: p- uh, stunt chopper pilots like Hollywood well, movies I'm not
1: sure, uh, how, many, and all that I'm not sure how many of the choppers were doing stunts per se, I mean a car chase yeah. is a car chase, or a helicopter well, yeah, yeah, an yeah, air pursuit just, is an air pursuit you know, yeah. That's, yeah. Not, that's not rocket surgery for a good pilot It's yeah. we're, uh, we're, we're not talking about Blue Thunder, yeah it be but just an off duty cop, you know yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. the one from Paul, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. but yeah. the
0: interesting thing though is, is that it comes from uh, Sunstar and Channel 10 and Channel 10 have had bad luck with uh, with cop dramas, uh, bad luck with with drama in general for for a, a long time. I think uh, Secret Life of Us was uh, was their uh, first successful drama in in a long time. Before that was Carson's Law, uh, the uh, and before that Prisoner. Uh, but that was great. Of course, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm forgetting to mention Neighbours, which is very successful for them. But that was uh, essentially Grundy's, and they stole it from Channel Seven. But uh, <laughs> they're putting. A lot of money into it, and I think uh, with this they, they are going to throw off the shackles of uh, of, of all that came before, and
1: uh, really move forward, move into what was traditionally Channel Nine's space. Do we know mm. any of the writers? It's not not like um, Alison Nazell or anybody like that who wrote Phoenix and or um, Janus. Janus. You know what? I do, we, do
0: uh, I was so I was so taken with the chase scene. That I did not keep an eye on the credits. Okay, that's which all right. is, we,
1: We'll find out. Which is ah. a you know, a, which is a credit to
0: the a, a credit to the show because usually I'm, I'm watching uh, watching opening credits <laughs> like a hawk. Yeah, looking for whom to blame. Yes, whose yeah. <laughs> fault is this? And uh, I will get onto that topic when we go into a little bit of pork.
3: Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters, pod, cast, done. Pork is on the table.
0: Did anyone watch Scorched on Sunday night? Missed it. The Channel 9 telemovie extravaganza? I missed it. Missed it. Right.
3: Apparently the first time that uh, Channel 9 have made a foray into online stuff where they've got uh, kind of webisodes about each of the characters. Uh, I was reading
0: today. Well, I'll get on to ch- it's- We'll need a whole other episode for me to get onto Channel Nine's website. Uh, It's a it's a whole topic on its own, but Scorched was a disaster film, Uh, and I, I love a good disaster film. Saw the ads. It was about uh, bushfire. Bushfire. It's it's five years in the future. Sydney has not had rain for something like two hundred and forty days. Uh, everyone's going a little bit crazy. Uh, petrol prices are up to five dollars a litre. Water prices are through the roof. People are stealing water, and uh, and uh, everything's going uh, going crazy. Lightning strikes in the, uh, the 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 national parks, sixty k's out of Sydney. Fires start. And we we all remember the, the the fires of a few years ago, uh, should be a great chance for a disaster film. I will also say I'm a big fan of Tim Pye's work as a writer. I think Tim Pye has written some uh, amazing stuff. Wildside, in particular, uh, loved his work in Wildside. This was the most cliched thing I've seen on Australian television. In quite some time, mm-hmm. I just ah oh, torturous the, every single character we had seen before, mm-hmm. uh, just nothing, nothing in it. I mean, you've got you've got a perfect opportunity. You've got uh, essentially what is uh, a science fiction scenario: uh, the the five years into the future, the uh, getting very close to to. Uh, a a world without laws it's you know you could see this turning into the world that mad max was Mm. uh you know you've got that opportunity and uh and instead you just have cameron Daddo as the reluctant fire chief and uh you've got the uh the the reporter who is, is really trying to get not only a good story, but also trying to make a difference. And uh, you've got the, uh, the, the doctor who just wants to spend some time at home with his wife. As she, uh, I
1: just, I couldn't believe it. I, I was so disappointed. That was it for Scorch, though. It's been and gone, right? Gone. Okay. A disaster of a disaster movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know what? Needed some Shelley Winters. Mm. Shelley Winters can always boost up a disaster film. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, that would work. Mm. That would work. The Don Lane show. Ray Punja Ray Punja Yeah. The Don Lane show was now. Uh, we had we had somebody in the studio, Brett, telling us. Maybe it was it was you, Wilbur, uh, telling us about how uh, Don Lane got the show, basically uh, given to him. So, someone, someone else was was going to. To do that show, and uh, no, it was only Cicely Slot, and he Cicely Slot, and, sickly and he got kicked off, and Don Lane took over, and
2: then such a popular Tonight Show. How long did it run for? From seventy seven seventy eight uh, through to eighty three, about six years, eight, uh, seven seven years, six to seven years, I believe. Yeah, and it was
0: it, it was huge. I mean, every everybody watched
2: the Don Lane show. Oh yeah, look. Uh, a big credit there has to go to Peter Feynman, who was the executive producer and director of the show. He was basically the one uh, uh, who discovered Don, got Don, uh, to come out from... Uh, Don was working... I think Don was working you know, doing floor show in Hawaii somewhere at the time and they bought him out because uh, Ernie Sigley was... Uh, his show had been axed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Don was the new kid on the block. And uh, Peter Feynman was very creative in how he set the Don Lane show up and the discipline that he put into the show. And you've got to remember back in those days, we had a full-on ballet, uh, orchestra, uh, you know, and uh, all live to air, and, uh, you know, away it went. And when he... and the satellite became, uh, you know, suddenly there's a satellite and you could bounce pictures off a satellite from America or England or Europe back to Australia. Hey, we could sit in a studio here and talk to somebody in America and actually see them face-to-face, you know, and they could see us. And when Don used to do these big-name satellite interviews out of Hollywood and or New York uh, or Vegas or wherever these huge stars were, you know, to do these interviews, a big 12-foot by 12-foot chroma key flat, you know, and Don used to sit there and you'd see their big head, uh, you know, on the screen there, whoever it might have been, you know, John Wayne, Tom Jones, Mickey Rooney, all I you know whoever it was back in those days, you know, uh, there was very clever stuff.
0: And whose idea was it to put Bert and Don together? Because that that was a, a a piece of inspiration. I mean, Bert and and Graham had worked so well together, uh, and uh, and. Everybody knew that, that Bert was Bert was talented, but to yeah, put, yeah, look, to put uh, Bert with Don, it just worked so well.
2: It did. Uh, I don't know that it was anybody's idea. I think it just happened. I think it just it, it, it just happened. You know, uh, Bert was the uh, the announcer for the show as such. You know, standing there saying, and now, hey, welcome to the Don Lane Show," and here's Don. You know, and then it, it just all grew from there.
0: It's a. Uh an extraordinary uh, bit of uh, television history. Did you do the uh, short lived? Because being at Channel 9 and having mm. done Hey Hat hey, hey, Saturday, did you work on the very short lived Daryl Summers show?
2: No. That was the Tonight Show with Daryl? Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't work on that.
0: That was uh, it was a lot of brown, that set. Mm. Had a lot of brown. Mm hmm. And uh, all I remember from it was they had uh, a a man making Chinese noodles one episode.
1: 1982-83 was The Tonight Show with Daryl. And uh, they would have a big production number every now and then, and they'd rope us in. Because by then I was doing half a dozen hey-hays in the morning each year, just sitting on a panel or something like that, like semi-regularly, you know, if you will. And I remember getting in there and uh, it was with uh, Frank Holden was uh, actually one of the talent producers and they'd come up with an idea to do a big band number you know or something like that and there was one number we did where Daryl came on as a waiter and we were all waiters as well, but Daryl came on and he tripped over a couple of things and that set in motion all these big columns, these big Doric columns in this restaurant and people were sitting at tables. There would, would have been 50 people, 60, maybe 60, dancers, as Ray was saying, all choreographed by Tony Bartuccio, of course. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there's a Barty still out there and his beautiful wife, Caroline Gilmer, but... Um, uh, the, the, you know, one column fell over and it took another one out and took another one out and everything like that and, and it ended up with a big crowd scene. I remember most of that stuff happening, but I remember one thing in particular, that as they took a wide shot of the crowd, Shane Bourne, to whom I was standing next, said, now if you ever want to find yourself in a crowd scene, just do this. And he jumped up and put his hand in the air. And of course, as soon as we looked at the monitor, there he was. <laughs> it was just this dumb this dumb television thing to do, you know, but Bourne he was, uh, was sort of hip to it. He said, why, why didn't that show last? Uh, Oh, gee whiz. I mean, there were probably budget considerations back in those days. I mean... um
2: Look, there was a lot going on back in those days, and um, there there was so much production happening, you know. Uh, There were... Gee, Don Lane Show was on at that time. Uh, Hey, Hey at Saturday was on. In the mornings? Uh, Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was Family Feud.
1: Sale of the Century. There was
2: Sale of the Century. There were sports shows. There was a lot of production going on. Wide now, world
1: of sports every, you know, Saturday.
2: Yeah, wide, Yes, wide world of sports on the weekends. Uh, if a show, then suddenly the networks were saying, or the Channel 9 management were saying, well, you know, if a show's not working, we're putting a lot of money into it, and if, if it's not delivering, well, you know, sadly it'll have to go, you know. And, and unless you were picked up as a network show and you did well right around the network, meaning around Australia, well, then, you know, the show will suffer.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it was uh, I, I remember being quite excited about it as uh, as a kid, but then being quite disappointed because it wasn't. Hey, hey, that's uh,
1: that, that's that's my memory of it. Well, that's but, you the know, thing, I, was, I suppose cause I, I, was, I was like eight years old. Daryl was hey hey at Saturday, and I think he probably would have liked to have not so much been a Lane or a Kennedy, but to have done what they did in his own way. And he wasn't known for... Maybe it, was, it just didn't fit well with the viewing audience. Yeah. And and until Hey Hey went night times. And, of yes. course, that, then it just went berserk, you know. What was that, some mm. of our highest ratings on a Saturday? 36, I remember, was, you know, for I the think, 60s show. We, yeah,
2: look, I think the highest rating host on Hey Hey at Saturday uh, was Shirley Strawn, if I remember correctly, and John Farner when they hosted the shows. But... Hey, hey, at Saturday in Melbourne would consistently rate, you know, 30, 31, 32s, 34s, 35s. On a Saturday Saturday night. On a Saturday night. night, Unheard of now. Yeah, it was amazing. However, around the rest of the network, the, the figures weren't that high, you know, but. Melbourne supported the rest of the network uh, within the ratings of Hey, Hey, it's Saturday.
1: Well, we used to go all right in Sydney and Oh, Brisbane, Sydney was you know.
2: okay, yeah. It took
1: a while, though, I remember yeah, that. You yeah, know, it we,
2: took, took some time to really click And that's why
1: we would go interstate. We'd do an Adelaide yeah. show, you know, and mm. it'd still rate well in Melbourne, but it'd rate mm. better in Adelaide, you know, was, Brisbane. Was Hey, so Hey, cool. uh, when, when it was in the morning...
2: Yeah. Was that a nationally syndicated show, or was that just Melbourne? No, 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 that was just Melbourne. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, that's, well, the coax, that's why
3: then. When coax between Melbourne and Sydney come in, where you could actually network the two different stations?
2: Yes, uh hey, you've just bowled me out. Uh, I can't I can't remember was, when the cable came in. It was, it was in, like a TV the event cable, with, yeah.
3: with uh, Graham Kennedy in Melbourne and Don Lane, I think, in Sydney. In Sydney, that's, yeah, and that's they, right, And they did yeah. the split screen. Did the I, split
2: screen, that's right, yeah. And I think that was the only time, and it was used for news feeds uh, sending stories from Melbourne to Sydney and Sydney to Melbourne. Up
1: the bearer, up so the, to speak.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, up the cable it was called then, yeah. Mm. And the coaxial cable came into Studio 2.
0: Uh, it's, a, it, it, it's just like a – I hope people have been taking notes because there will be an exam later on.
1: Well, by the way, uh, with respect – well, it's not with respect, it's just with time considerations uh, – we've only scratched the surface of uh, my friend Ray's uh, incredible career in, and uh, the, the knowledge that he retains and the memories that he has – so um you know it's um it's been a gasp for me to just sit here listening to uh him regale us with the stories because uh, oh, I get I get such a thrill out of hearing them too. It's it's been fantastic Brett have you got any pork? Uh,
3: yeah no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Well I mean for me I think that Ray Punter was was the first kind of off camera crew person that I was aware of, and that was from like I grew up with hey, hey a day from the mornings um we were of a similar vintage at one point um and uh it was it was always the shot that i I guess you floored John Blackman where he would actually say ray it was it was something about the shots that that you'd thrown to and and black as it'd be kind of you know you can't do that in morning t v <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, there was no one to tell us we couldn't. <laughs> we did lots of good things. But, we Ray, really did. but in yeah. the early
1: days of TV, yeah. there were no guidelines. Per no, so. there, there, there was no precedent set. you yeah. were making it up, really, weren't you? Yeah, that's
2: you? right. You know, you go back in the days, particularly back, you know, you've got to go back to the Kennedy days within Melbourne Tonight. Now, who was to say that we were doing it wrong? No one. So we were doing it right because there was no one to say we were doing it wrong. Well, and,
0: you know, people, I I suppose, as long as people were watching, you were doing it right.
2: Absolutely, and did they watch it, you know? Yeah.
0: Extraordinary to have you on, Ray. It's just a a huge pleasure.
2: Hey, it's been great to be here,
0: Josh. Thank you. Thank you so much. That does bring us to the end of Box Cutters episode 147. I want to say... Thanks very much to 3 R, whose studios we use for recording this podcast each and every week. You can still subscribe. Last week was the uh, Radiothon. You can still subscribe up until September. 1st of
3: October. 1st oh, of October. 5pm is pay-up day for uh, any subscription pledges.
0: And Rosh Hashanah for, uh, for, for our Jewish friends. 1st oh, well, of October.
3: Last half of September for you guys,
0: right? Yep. Uh The uh, so yes, you can uh, still pay up nine three double eight one zero two seven zero three nine three double eight one zero two seven plus six uh, Thank you very much to Crumpler our giveaway sponsors who will at some stage have bags for us to give away to our listeners. Great, fab. Can't yeah, make. that that would be excellent. Good bags. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please go onto the Boxcutters site at boxcutters.net where we're currently conducting a listener survey. You can uh, tell us about yourself and we can try to make this show... More about you. More about you. As 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 good as we possibly can. This this week had a, a suggestion from a listener to change the way we do the titles of our episodes. Have more information in the titles so that people getting them through a certain kind of feed reader. I think uh, uh, Tim was using uh, uh, live feeds. So, okay, live feeds uh, in Firefox, but. He said, "Get as much information as you can into the titles." I've gone back last few episodes. I've renamed them. We listen to our listeners, and uh, it's because they listen to us. So please uh, go onto the uh, boxcutters.net site and fill out the survey. It will help us a lot. Big changes coming to boxcutters in the uh, in the coming weeks. I've got to tell you something, Brett, but I'm not going to say it now. Okay. Uh, just just in case it doesn't happen. But I've got I've got some things in in the pipelines. I want to say thanks so much to our guest, Ray Punja. Uh, just extraordinary, as I said before, and a, a real pleasure to have you on.
2: Thanks, Josh. Oh, we'd love thanks, to have Brett. you back and, and further explore. You try and get me out of the chair. I, I,
0: I'm serious. You, you and Pete Smith will just turn the mics on, and Brett and I will go, we'll have a pizza, we'll come
2: back. Now, with Pete Smith, whoever gets the first word in is the winner. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And
0: Wilbur Wild,
1: thanks so much, legend. Well, it's been a guess. and uh, just to back you up, that uh, making the show more about you—that that, that means you know, the listener. That that means it's going to be less about me next time. What's going on? Oh no, no,
0: you no. It's, see still, those? it's still going to be as much about oh, you as as that's we fine. can make it. Yeah, that's but that's terrific, yeah. the, the <laughs> listener needs to to feel included, and uh, so what we're actually going to try to do, Wilbur, is. If you can go to every uh, listener when they're on the tram, when they're listening at their house, when they're at the computer, if they're listening at work, if you could just go there and sit
1: next to them. A radio locum, so to speak. Yes. Yes, that, that would be wonderful. Thank you, so- Wilbur Wilde. Excellent. Pleasure, guys. See you soon. Hadley uh,
0: Hills? That's right. Uh, until <laughs> next week. My name is Josh Canal. Wilbur
1: Wilde.
3: Ray Punja I continue to be Brett Cropley Thanks for listening to Boxcutters Catch us again next week Same bad time, same bad channel
1: And
0: hey, let's be careful out there